Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm John, the executive producer here, and I've got a few pre-show notes for you. First, a reminder. All of the content we produce is available on our website at finalshowfilms.com, as well as youtube.com slash sensetaku, sensetaku.podbean.com, twitch.tv slash sensetaku, and on iTunes. We are only able to do the things we do thanks to the kind support of our Patreon donors. We give a special shout-out to our $25 tier supporters, Antitonic and Cat Waterflame. If you'd like to support us that way, be sure to check it out. Secondly, a thank you to the folks over at 411mania.com. They produce articles and content related to wrestling, MMA, movies, music, and gaming. Go check them out. We appreciate their support as well. And lastly, be sure to subscribe, comment, and rate, if possible, wherever you listen to or watch our content. It helps us know what you like, what you don't like, and helps us make more content. Feedback is always appreciated. With all that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome. <coughs> Critical Thinking, episode... 24? What the fuck? 24? Yes, episode 24, The Feast, uh, where we look at Critical Role, episode 24, The Feast. Um, I'm John, at John A. Bates, on Twitter, and executive producer here at Final Show Films. With me today is Jack. Hey, everybody, I'm Jack. I'm at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I am Thomas 411 mania on Twitter. <laughs> And today on Critical Role, we uh, and again we're talking about uh, this episode whose title I already introduced, starring. I've tried to figure out how to get back to the starring part of that. <laughs> Brian Acaba as Tiberius, Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Charles and Jaffe as Percy, Liam O'Brien as uh, Vaxel Don, Mercer as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlan, Charles Willingham as Grog, and Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Previously on Critical Role, they had a fight in Vasselheim and met Victor, and then went back home. <laughs> yep. Uh, when they returned, they met. When they uh, basically there was a lot of shopping and 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 sort of story closure last episode, um, and then they came back home to Iman uh, after Tiberius repeatedly flaunted the laws of Vasselheim on multiple occasions after being told not to. Um, but uh, when they got back, they were informed that there was a feast to be held. Uh, in Amon, and that the group, uh, as being, I believe they're m- not council member, not members of the council per se, but the Vox Market has some sort of importance with the council of Amon currently. Yeah, I don't think they're quite fully fledged members of the council, but they're definitely, uh, respected, individuals. yeah, re- respected colleagues, as it were. Yeah. And Sikrasum. Uh, one of the members of the council invited them to a feast at which there would be apparently uh, a group of individuals known as the Briarwoods, which mm-hmm. caught Percy's attention. Wow, wow, wow. Dun, dun, dun. Getting the news about this coming feast, the group decides they need to ask Percy about what's going on with the Briarwoods and why he has such an interest in them. While this is happening, Tiberius heads to the last <coughs> passage to Craghammer while everyone else heads to the workshop to talk to Percy. Uh... As Grog rummages through the tools on the benches, Percy begins his tale. The Briarwoods were responsible for the death of the Dorolo family. They came into Whitestone, Percy's familiar home, after being invited, and the night slaughtered everyone that opposed them. The few survivors, the few that did survive, did so by turning coat uh, and serving the Briarwoods. Percy escaped uh, uh, along with his sister, I believe, um, but he got away and she didn't. Um, I believe the last, uh, I don't. Does he talk about what happened to her in this particular instance? Not story? exactly. No. He references her as having her. assisted with his escape, but yes. doesn't give much further than that. Yeah, so, yeah. He and his sister escape, but he's the only one that actually gets away. Um, and uh, he mentions uh, previously he mentions a, a female doctor named Ripley. Um, who apparently works with the Briarwoods that he had managed to track down, but upon getting close to her, he had been jumped by her men. Um, and that's how he ended up in the dungeon that the rest of Vox Machina had found him in before this show actually began. Um, 
as they continue to talk about what Percy wants to do, he shows them his pepper box. Five of the six names, ha- uh, five of the six barrels have names engraved on them. Lord and Lady Briarwood, then Dr. Ripley, followed by the head of the Briarwood's guards, Sir Stonefell, and finally Professor Anders, Percy's teacher and mentor, who he now, who he believes turned on the family and assisted the Briarwoods in getting through the castle. Uh, that was a grunt of some kind. Well, um, <clears throat> I wanted to bring up something previous to this. Go ahead. Which is completely unrelated to the bit of the storyline we're getting into now. As as if that's unusual for as if that's 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 not our, right. our normal default. Yep. Um. So one of the things that I find a lot in writing that is somewhat differentiation um from from most other things, especially in in such compositions as as novels and screenplays and things like that, where real estate is pretty much always at a premium. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in this episode specifically, Matt devotes a little bit of time to sort of looping the group back into, hey, remember this castle that you're living in that has a whole bunch of people working in it that mm-hmm. you need to actually make sure get paid? Mm-hmm. And they have this great, I think, great little sort of character uh, moment with their members of the staff who are basically like, hey, yeah, you guys uh, kind of dipped out for three weeks and nobody's been paid. And we kind of, you know, and in a sense, it's a bookkeeping moment, you know, where it's the sort of thing that you would sort of just check off or make possibly a passing reference to in most other works of fiction, partially because unless it's very, very important to the plot, I'm looking at you, Patrick Rothfuss, um, Individual financial situations are usually not terribly vital. You know, it's the sort of thing of you watch 10 seasons of Friends and then are like, how do they pay for any of this anything, stuff? Right, anything. Yeah. Um, you Even know, their coffee. Right. You know, which unless you're a hardcore fan or somebody who just engages in fridge logic for fun, uh, isn't the sort of thing that you usually consider, you know, when you're just sort of casually consuming media. Uh, there's a there's a level of suspension of disbelief that, you know, you don't have to have perfect verisimilitude in every single composition. But I always enjoy it when there's at least reference to it, and especially when it's portrayed and displayed in a way that actually informs the characters as well, because you immediately start to see that level of empathy that the players are now having for these NPCs and who responds in what manner and how. And it's just, it's a, I think it was a fantastic moment and I'm really glad Matt put it in there. Oh yeah. No. And actually I believe this is sort of the first time that we get introduced to a lot of the staff of the house that eventually become Mm -hmm. fairly important characters down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, We have not yet met the captain of the guard. I don't think. No, we have no, not yet. Also known, as, also, also known as one of the two people in Critical Role that I could theoretically cosplay as. Um, True that. <laughs> uh, but we have, yeah, we we've met the the cook, the butler, a couple of the guards, um, and it was the butler I think was the one that raised the question of payment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, he, as the head of the household, it's his job to make sure that all the other, rest of the household are paid. And they haven't been paid. So could you pay us, please? <laughs> I think. Uh, no, that, that's actually, yeah, no, that, that, that is something that gets skipped, uh, there, especially in, in D&D games or in, in action adventure stories or, or in stories focused on the characters, um, rather than the world. Uh, there is certainly a, a, uh, an amount of, minutia and detail that gets skipped over for time uh though an example of a, a setting in which that does not happen is uh, game of thrones mm-hmm. um where mm-hmm. wherein they have several lengthy scenes describing exactly what sort of tax problems the kingdom is having <laughs> yep um it's something that I find. I find that uh, it, it depends on what you're trying to get out of the story, really, as to whether or not you want to focus on that sort of minutia. And I think, in in things that are a little bit more political, that tends to come up a lot more, right? Because um, politics and economy kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, like you know, make sure your servants are paid well, otherwise somebody might buy them out from underneath you, etc. Right. Where whereas breaking the spells on the cursed artifact and economy. A little more of a disconnect there. Yeah. All right. 
Oh, was there anything uh, you wanted to add into that, Jeremy? No, that you guys pretty much covered that nicely. Uh, so yeah, uh, five of the six barrels have names on them. Those names, uh, as they talk, as the group talks to Percy about the gun and his past, uh, Grog grabs a large pair of tongs and tries to slip them into the bag of holding. Vex sees it and shoots Grog the dragon eyes to him, uh, and he puts the tongs back. Uh, they discuss using their hat or disguises to mask Percy during the dinner party, allowing him to slip in and sort of the group uh, as backup. Uh, and eventually, their uh, their thoughts turn to. Uh, the money awaiting them in Craghammer and how much time it'll take to get back there. Uh, some suggest Keyleth fly Scanlan back or they go by horseback. And as the, t- and as the talk goes on, Grog begins to complain about his hands burning uh, because he has, he has accidentally gotten some alchemical material on his hands. Uh, Percy points into a bucket of water, which he happily plunges them in. And when he does, the burning intensifies as the skin begins to blister and peel, because sulfuric acid doesn't react well with water. (laughs) Know your chemistry, kids. Yep. He yanks his hands back out from the water, Percy dumps a bag of powder on them, stopping the reaction, calming the Goliath. Uh, He gives Krog a look, and the big man heads upstairs to comfort himself with food, and we get sort of a we get sort of an idea of what Percy might be like as a parent through this, uh, <laughs> um, which is a scary thought. Uh, no, don't worry. They'll learn not to do that after they do it once. Uh, we also get a recurring joke uh, out of this of Grog thinking water is bad. Yes. Uh-huh. Which, which is a nice bit of... Uh... So let's talk about Travis Willingham. Okay. <laughs> um Travis Willingham intentionally picked a dumb character. Like like mm-hmm. not 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 like dumb conceptually but in low intelligence character. Low intelligence, low wisdom, grog. Right. And what he does with this character is sort of fascinating on a level of that you don't ever really see <coughs> that that <coughs> that play D and D or write heroic characters. When's the last time thinking about popular media that you had a heroic character who was ostensibly the hero, not a sidekick and not a, you know, not, not, not a, a a one-off character who learned things incorrectly and maintained that incorrect assumption until actually corrected. No, it's not a it's not a character trait that you see very frequently in, under protagonists. No. Um but it is one that that Travis Willingham playing Grog has sort of made into his own thing. And that actually like as much as it seems like that might not take a lot of work from an acting perspective, that takes a lot of yeah. work. Oh yeah. Cuz you have to remind yourself of what you don't know. Which is a lot harder to do than reminding yourself of what you know. Um, and I, 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 what, what do you guys think about that kind of a character and that kind of then, then the acting challenge of playing that type of character? Well, it's a kind of character that we don't see much, mostly because uh, ensemble. Gr- uh, you would, you're gonna find that character. That character works when it's an ensemble. It doesn't really work quite as well when you have a single hero, um, just for for a variety of reasons. Um, and you don't see a lot of the the ensemble things that you see uh, ensemble groups that you see of pro, you know big hero protagonists that you see these days tend to be things like uh, superheroes. Mm-hmm. Or um, uh, on the outside, something like an, an Ocean's Eleven group, um, uh, or even all the dwarves in the Hobbit, or even that. Yeah. Um, where where I, I think you did see some variations on uh, on that sort of a character in like the Oceans and and the Hobbits and things like that. Um, it's a character that can absolutely provide a good variety 
Um, because obviously if, if you have a large group of characters, you, they have to have things that distinguish them and they have to have things that distinguish them in, in broad ways. Um, so it's something that can, that, that can definitely work. There's always a risk of going too far with it and, and hurting the character's credibility. Uh, as a protagonist where yes, that kind of thing can be really funny. Um, and, and it can be an important character trait, but you want to make sure that that character is still very competent in other ways. And that's something that obviously Travis balances very well with Grog because yes, he's dumb, but he's also very, very capable in combat. He's very, um, loyal to his friends. He's has a lot of great traits to balance out this one major flaw. Uh, I feel like in a lot of narrative fiction, that isn't handled with as much grace. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah, he's got a um he has that level of emotional intelligence that supersedes the 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 lack mm-hmm. of intellectual intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um the the and I've been thinking it's like the closest to a character like this that I can think of in popular media would be someone like um someone like um Adam Baldwin's character in Serenity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jane, uh, Jane, 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 Jane. Who, but even in the case of Jane, Jane makes dumb decisions and ultimately gets punished for them. But he never has that sort of l- almost lack of awareness that Grog has at times. Mm, I would um, argue that he generally does. He's a long cat. He is 100% an, uh, an idiot most of the time. He, he doesn't have it to the same depths that Grog yeah. does. But he's pretty dumb. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> but yeah, it's sort of, sort of an interesting character type to, 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 to play into. Um, and again, one not, one not seen very much. Um, but yeah, moving on. Uh, so while this is all going on, Tiberius heads across town to the Lyceum that we had, that they had previously teleported into. He introduces oh, himself. Tiberius. He introduces himself to the clerk at the front inside the main doors, who he thinks is the same person that clerks the, the sigil room. Sigils. I don't know why that was so hard for me to read. Because you've been watching Matt Mercer a lot. <laughs> Pronounced Sigil. <laughs> the slightly confused clerk takes him to the Traverse Junction and Gatekeeper Xanthus. Uh, Tiberius introduces himself to this man who unfortunately knows him already and manages to get to the point of uh, uh, of what Tiberius wants through his babbling because Tiberius has a tendency to talk a lot. <clears throat> Unceasingly. Yeah. Which, honestly, like as much as we should on Tiberius, I felt that this was a very well-constructed and fairly well-executed comedy sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and like, like our, I think our problems with Tiberius have never been about the, the character mean, as constructed. <laughs> right. Like, I, don't think, I don't think our problems with, with Tiberius have been about the character as constructed so much as it is the character within the world that he inhabits. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, they, this is a perfectly adequately constructed comedy character. It's just that typically this type of character doesn't last as long as Tiberius has, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, uh, so he, he 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 through his over explanation and talking, um, the the gatekeeper managed to figure out that Tiberius wants to get access to the teleportation circle to Craghammer. Um, he is, uh, informed that he must get the headmaster's permission to do so, uh, and is led to the man's personal study where he again introduces himself, uh, to the headmaster who, uh, then contacts the thunder, the, uh, the head of the house Thunderbrand in Craghammer. House Thunderbrand 
uh, as we have previously discussed, I think in episode one and two, uh, was the magical residents or the, the residents of the, of mages in Craghammer that type you're assaulted from the street. Yep. Give you all that, that was them. time to let that, uh, implication sink in. Um, <laughs> After a brief discussion, the the, thund- the head of Thunderbrand tells him that if he brings back uh, one of the artifacts that he's looking for and shows it to him, that he'll consider allowing him access to the teleportation circle and then cuts off uh, communication. Um, Tiberius excuses himself and heads back to the keep to grab the artifacts that he has thus far acquired. Um, Vax, Keyleth, and Scanlan all head to Gilmore's uh, after their talk with Percy, and this is where we f- have we met Gilmore before this? I'm not. I, yes, we have. Yeah. Haven't, yeah, we have. We met him previously. Yeah. I'm. I'm. It, we've been through a lot of these episodes, and I'm having trouble keeping track of what we've already talked about. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They head to Gilmore's after their talk with Percy, and Keyleth uh, has some business to take care of there. When they arrive, it appears Sherry is in charge for the day as Gilmore's out. Vax asks about Gilmore, but is told that he's in Western, uh, working on the new expansion for the store. Caleb's asked about books about alchemy and potion making, and there is uh, sort of uh, the sound of a loud commotion in the back. Um, and uh, through a beaded curtain, saunters Sean Gilmore. Vax gives him a quick hug, and the two of them head to the back room for a bit of private space to discuss a few personal things, which is where the audience begins to go wild with innuendo. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Vax fills him in on the story of what has been, uh, what has been, what has been going on the past month or so between the Underdark and Vasilheim. And as they talk, Keyleth and Scanlan continue to shop out front. Sherry brings out a pair of books along the lines of what Keyleth is wanting and attempts, she attempts to negotiate the price, uh, but instead insults the clerk who then takes the books back because Keyleth has low charisma. Yep. Uh, yes, you do. This is sort of her attempt to emulate Vax. In 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 negotiation tactics, not quite learned correctly, but with 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 honest intent. Um, seeing his friend fail, Scanlan steps in in an attempt to rectify her botched vexing for the transaction. Uh, Asks her for a box that will be able to hold a magical item, and prevent it from being detected. She grabs a few different ones, and uh, Scanlan tries to flirt with her which she ignores uh, and explains the properties of the items that he requested. He picks one and asks her to identify a potion he found a while back. Uh, with a little wink and a smile, she does this one on the house for him, and he also asks about the books. Uh, gives the clerk a little song to help uh, stimulate uh, business, um, which causes her to blush and hurry on with payment. And also causes me to lose track of where I was at in this box of text I'm reading. <laughs> Vax finally pops out from his conversation with Gilmore after asking if the man has any connections that could help them get into Craghammer more quickly, and before leaving, Vax purchases three fine daggers and the three of them leave. Because Vax has guilt. <sighs> yep. Tiberius flies to the keep and is almost shot by guards. <coughs> Fantastic <Because> Tiberius. <laughs> um, yes, so Tiberius flies to the keep of Iman. You know, the place where the where the ruler of Amon is. Yep. No, not the keep. The, their keep. Grayskull keep. He's heading home. Oh, is he flies to the keep? I thought it was flying to the other one. No, he's not, he's not oh, flying no, no, no. to... Okay, no. He to flies to Grayskull keep and is almost shot by the guard. Okay, okay. Right. But when you po- post a bunch of mercenaries yeah. on guard duty, say, guard this castle, and then without telling anybody, come skyrocketing over the battlements at a high rate of speed before they can identify you, they're probably going to reflexively shoot at you a bit. Yes. yes. And are also red and dragon looking. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That happens. Tiberius, who, you know, makes his continual assumption that he is the king of every castle. Um... He almost gets shot by his own guards. Ah, that's fun. Afterwards, he heads to the kitchen to find Grog, looking for a specific item uh, that he uh, that had some mention of the Thunderbrands, and he can't remember what it was other than a pendant. He manages to find it in the bag, grabs it, and casts flying himself, Grog and Vex, and he takes off, and Vex follows, but Grog stays put and floats around the kitchen as they leave. Uh, because Grog doesn't care what Tiberius is doing. <laughs> 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 here in 
here in Grog, assuming the role of the audience. Uh, I was going to say, yes, Grog is Grog is the eyes and ears of the audience in this situation. Uh, they, they see the others coming back from Gilmore's, uh, and he casts fly on them as well, and they all take off towards the Lyceum. So Tiberius oh, but just wait. Titles. Tiberius is going to get even more ridiculous here soon. To gain access to them as well. Uh, as Tiberius has now spent three third level spells. Keep just going. Out of casuality. Um, they get back. Um, he, he shows off the artifact to House Thunderbrand and acquires a sigil. Um, which I don't remember if anything spectacularly dramatic happens with the, with the, uh, the, the show and tell and acquisition of sigils. No. Um, in this particular instance, but uh, they they acquire it, and the five of them debate who's going to go. Uh, Keyleth tells them she should check on Grog and Percy. Vax says he's got an errand to run, and Tiberius is too drained right now to cast a spell and needs a bit to rest, because casting spells. Um, yeah. As they all head back in the direction of Grey School, Tiberius breaks off to visit Karen, the <laughs> smith, who made trinkets armor. Oh my god, this is my favorite thing. <laughs> he has so fucking ridiculous. We're about to we're we're about to sort of get into the Ur Tiberius moment. We have hit peak <laughs> Tiberius, folks. <laughs> so after yes, after exclaiming that he is tired and need rest, Tiberius splits the party and goes to visit Karen the Smith, who made Trinket's armor. He asks her to make a new weapon for him, calling it kind of a bended glaive made from five daggers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, so you want a glaive, is what you're saying. Made from five daggers. He wants a chakram, is what he wants. Right. <laughs> he wants a fucking chakram. I don't know why he couldn't say chakram. <laughs> he, he, he wants a, a circular saw blade, is what he wants. He wants the, pro- he wants the propeller off of a plane, is what he wants. <laughs> um... <laughs> Karen, uh, being an awesome smith, is like, yeah, I can do that. He happily pays her and heads outside to see Scanlan with a giant gray beard. I don't remember why Scanlan has a beard. Why it was, not? It was, No, the implication being, dear God, Tiberius, how long were you going to take in there? I've already aged 70 plus years. Oh. That's right. That's right. Um... Using this as a distraction, Vax steps away and heads to the upper slums, looking for Kain and Lior, the boy who had been sleeping outside their keep that Vax brained in the brained in the skull last week. Um, da, 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 and I lost my place again. Uh, yeah, because he's going to give him the three yeah. magic daggers. Now Vax heads to the butcher's house and sneaks in. Uh, and again, around sneaks in and around the area, trying to find out whatever he can. Sees the butcher doing some work, and then turns off, the, turning off the lantern and leaving. Vax climbs in the window and heads to looking for the boy's room as he casually breaks and enters into this, into this man's house. Uh, he finds it with some ease, ease and begins searching for any clues about the young man. Finding his room, it appears to have been hastily cleared and packed up. He goes back out, heads out to the front, and knocks on the door—the thing he could have done the first time. Uh, Harold, the butcher, opens it and tells him that his son left after they had a fight, and he has no idea where he is. Vax gives him 50 golden leaves. Soon, they are all back in the keep for the evening and settle in for the night, as Vax tries to come to, comes to terms with the fact that he bludgeoned the fuck out of a child. Meh, it happens. <laughs> it's D&D. Yeah. The next day, rested and fed, the group breaks up to do different things. Percy returns to his workshop, intending to figure out some things on his list. Vex, Tiberius, Scanlan, and Grog head to Craghammer via teleportation, while Vax is left in charge of Trinket, and Keyleth stays behind to lend a hand to whomever needs one. Tiberius casts a spell, and the four of them arrive in the basement of the Manor of the Thunderbrands. The head of the house is a bit annoyed, but he calls him up. They present the locket to him, which causes his eyes to well up. It obviously has value to him, and he is grateful to have it back. Tiberius asked him for a favor as a trade for the amulet, <laughs> forgetting that the sigil was the thing he got in return for the amulet. Uh, but also, he mentions- also, Tiberius, of course, having the the complete lack of emotional awareness of 
I realize that you were having a great emotional moment. Let me interrupt this to crassly conduct uh, conduct business regarding this amulet. Right. Mm-hmm. Wait, and and I that I've just brought you back a long lost heirloom from a member of your now deceased family for whom you cared greatly. Uh, so, how much is this worth to you, anyway? Yeah. Which, which the response is. I've given you access to my house. <laughs> um, he, he, aside from that, he does tell them they're, they're looking to get their char- their their carpet their carpet reenchanted. Um, which is which he says is possible. What will take about a year and about fifty thousand gold in labor materials, which causes Vex to cry. Understandably so, because she didn't wreck the carpet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But she definitely loved it the most. She did. She likes to fly, our Vex. Yes, she does. Grog wraps an arm around the now-balling Vex and escorts her out the door as the rest of the group leaves the home. They all head deeper into the city, down to the depths of the quarry, where they meet Lord Greyspine and collect the cash they were owed. As As the discussion gets a bit heated... The Lord belittles their exploits because they didn't bring any scalps back. They tell him about the Beholder, which he greatly doubts. They'd have made it out alive if they had fought a Beholder, at which point Scanlan points out there are fewer of them now than when they started out. Which <laughs> implies tr- that anybody who's not here is dead. dead. Which is a true statement and a false statement all yes. wrapped up in one. <laughs> Bards, y'all. Bards, it's what sometimes sometimes you have to lie to tell the truth. Grayspade tells them that he will pay them uh, that he'll he'll pay them um, eighteen thousand gold for what they're done, which is a bit less than what they had originally agreed upon. Annoyed, Scanlan casts suggestion on him and puts a thought in his head that he is an honorable man and that he should pay them the full amount that he owes them and not one copper less. He gives the money over and tells them they better not say a bad word against him. They all agree and they head out quickly before the spell wears off and the man realizes what's happened. (laughs) (laughs) Because suggestion doesn't work the way you want it to work. Right. Most mind-affecting magic in D&D doesn't work the way you want it to work. Not anymore, at least. Yeah. Uh, While they were gone, Vax rushes out and gets a pink ribbon and and he and Keyleth begin braiding Trinket's hair. Uh, which Vax ties little bows into. Soon they have a bear covered in little pink bows and braids and have filled him with chocolate, which is poisonous to bears? Don't think so. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think... Th- bears I mean, are it, not dogs. No, but there are many animals to whom chocolate is not good for them. I mean, um, yes, we call them organic beans because chocolate <laughs> is not good for pretty much anybody. <laughs> but actively poison, I don't think so. Mm, it's a possibility because Google autofill, as soon as you type in can bears eat, chocolate is the first thing that comes up. What's the answer? <laughs> There's theobromine in chocolate, which is the same thing that I think is uh, toxic to dogs. And in certain amounts, it could con- conceivably be toxic to other mammals as well. So I know it's toxic to cats as well. But they would have to eat, I think the, the general consensus is he would have to eat a, a, a regular-sized bear would have to eat a shit ton of chocolate to die from theobromine poisoning. Well, not necessarily die, but be very upset. <laughs> yeah, or even be sick or ill. Yeah. All right, well, they feed him chocolate. <coughs> and this fantasy setting has no effect. Um, Vex comes home and sees this and flips out. Tiberius takes a, takes a staffy as he calls it. Um, and Vax leads him outside to wash, uh, to wash down and uh, wash, uh, leads Trinket outside to wash him down and brush out the ribbons. Uh, Tiberius converses with Scanlan about Alora, uh, indicating some level of emotional affection for another sentient being, which is strange and unique to Scanlan. Um, who is shocked that who is genuinely shocked that Tiberius uh, uh, cares about Allura? Um, <laughs> their thoughts turn to uh, the party in a few days off and trying to decide how to get Percy in without being noticed. They come up with the idea that Vax can be invisible and sneak around while Percy is disguised as Vax and attends the party as him. 
This will allow him to get close and be within striking distance if need be, as well as having a person lurking in the shadows to strike as well. Uh, with that decided, they go about making preparations for the party, and uh, as the days go, Grog develops a full, thick beard, uh, thanks to his belt of dwarven kind, which two nights prior, uh, Vax sneaks into the room and shaves half of it off. Drawing a thin beard on his face to replace the one that was shaved off. And because thus begins the, the true escalation wars. of the war. <laughs> because, you know, when, when, you, when you've got a potentially life-threatening uh, political intrigue about to happen, that's the best time to prank your friends. <laughs> it's mostly been saber-rattling at this point, but now somebody launched a nuke. <laughs> <laughs> By somebody, we mean Vax. Yes, we definitely mean Vax. Yep. Mm. Percy manages to make a gauntlet, and Achilles' aid puts electrical charge into it. He tries it on Tiberius. <laughs> which, which I, I'm sorry, the sentence structure of makes a gauntlet, tries it on Tiberius, made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he takes a jolt from it and his muscles lock up for a few seconds. Uh, Percy dubs this new weapon diplomacy. Congratulations, uh, he not- you're the Joker. Hmm? <laughs> this is a massive electric joy buzzer, yes. Uh, he, he knows it's volatile, but uh, he's going to work on it a few more times before it either needs recharging or blows up. Um, as that's going on, Trinket rolls into the courtyard and jumps up. Uh, Vex has managed to get him to understand how to roll forward and slam into things uh, using his armor as a weapon. Uh, thus, Trinket thus now gaining the ability of rolling around. Making him a deadly foe indeed. Yes. Uh-huh. I don't think it ever gets used. Like, like. Yes, it does. It, I mean, it, it, it gets it, used it, once or twice. It gets oh, used yeah. once or twice, but like over the course of the entire series, I think... Yeah, it only gets used once or twice. That's because Vex is terrified of Trinket dying. <laughs> Whoops. I should silence my cell phone. My cell phone <laughs> I was is, about to say. My cell phone is typically always silent, so that caught me by surprise. <laughs> um, Your cell phone is also apparently a rotary phone from the 1970s. I like that ringtone. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's how I know it's my phone. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. With the day having come, everyone gets stalled up in the best finery they can manage, uh, including Grog making a toga out of a tapestry. Tiberius helps him out with some dust revolution and makes his toga look better, as well as fixing his beard. And they finish getting ready and head to the palace for the event. When they arrive, Seeker Assume leads them to the council room to meet privately. He excuses the guards and ushers them inside, closing the doors, and informs them that he'll be doing some looking around and wants to make sure that he needs them not wants to make sure that they know he that he needs them to not make any scenes. He asks Vax something and immediately notices something is amiss. They tell him what they are doing, and he tells the uh, he tells the real Vax to find him and follow him when the meal begins. Assume has sent men out to collect intel, but they have yet to return, and he fears they won't be back in time. Many of the noble houses were vacated when the Dorellas passed, and were filled by the Briarwoods with colleagues and friends of theirs. The Seeker has a little info on the Briarwoods, and he, but he does know that the Lady has spent some time training the arc in, in the Arcane in various schools, so she does have some magical knowledge. As horns sound to announce the arrival of honored guests, the group head out of the room and Assume disappears into the shadows outside the main banquet hall. The Briarwoods step out of their coach and move up to the large set of stairs flanked by four guards. Percy takes, take, takes long looks trying to find a familiar face, but none of them jump out of them. And as they stand there, Allura approaches them, exchanging pleasantries as well as making a subtle gesture towards Vex, knowing something is up but not wanting to discuss it further. Over the next hour, various people engage in conversation. Tiberius uses this as a chance to ask Alora if she and Lady Kima, as well as he and Grog, should take an evening to break bread since Grog fancies Kima. Uh, <laughs> the arcane. Oh, yeah. oh, the unintentional humor. Hmm? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The arcanist instead suggests that she and Tiberius get tea since Kima is across the sea and seemingly busy. Tiberius, in his mind, fist pumping the air. 
Everyone finds their seats around the tables as both the Sovereign enters with his wife and the Briarwoods return and take their seats. Uriel takes a minute to introduce everyone around the table to their guests, each in turn giving a little nod or bow. As food arrives, talk goes over many subjects, including the bridge that is being celebrated. Lady Briarwood brings up the attempt on Uriel's life last winter, and he waves her off, giving all credit to Vox Machina, who are there, for saving them. Vex steers the conversation to the lady, asking about her clothing, where they originally hailed from. She tells them they're originally from the <coughs> Wildmount, far to the north on a separate continent. Tiberius asks if they have any children, and they give sad answers about having none of their own, but treating their servants as family. Scanlan asks briefly about Dr. Ripley, who he's told is, is on an extended sabbatical doing research and work, and Vax slash Percy finally asks them about how they came to be in charge of Whitestone, knowing full well whatever comes out of their mouths will be lies. While Vax, the real Vax, downs a potion and climbs his way up the wall and onto the ceiling, doing all he can to spy on the Lord and Lady from above. Lady Briarwood tells a story of how ten years ago the Dorolo family was caught in a storm just outside their estate. Soaked and looking for shelter, they invited the family in and the, the family and their number of children in. Uh, they stayed a few days, became fast friends. Over the next few years, they went on a number of excursions together before losing touch totally. Then they received a mysterious summons saying that their friends had all succumbed to disease and passed on, leaving the whole of their lands and castle to the Briarwoods. Vax slash Percy tells them that if they had issues, if they have issues near their keep, Vox Machina may be of service to them in eliminating these threats. Ural says that he also may have needed their skills in the near future, and Scanlan tries to get the cause of their deaths, but sadly the Briarwoods have not been able to ascertain the reason for it. Uh, Keyleth points out that most people would worry about that entering the castle would put them in danger, but Silas assures her that they had top men take care of the situation before they entered. The team tries to figure out what to do next as the conversation dies down, and soon enough, Uriel and his wife excuse themselves and head out to their chambers. The Briarwoods did the same thing shortly after, leaving the hall filled with people lounging and looking and taking advantage of the food and drink available to them. And here we have sort of a classic um, uh, 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 political dinner with the with the you know dinner with the enemy kind uh-huh. of scene, um, where there's a lot of going back and forth about the the, the, the the dancing around an issue that everybody, that not everybody, but uh, the audience and the protagonist knows the other people are lying about, but doing mm-hmm. so to sort of get their, what they're willing to say, and sort of how they're willing to sell their lie. Um, which is a, it, it's sort of a, it's a standard for, it's a standard scene, really, for uh, political thrillers and sort of spy stories and things like that. Um, well, and it's also important to point out that, you know, if 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 you haven't caught on by now, we're in a new story arc for the show. Yes. Um, and this is a, this particular story arc, whereas the previous one, um, uh, Previous two, sort of, but previous one, essentially, it was all one arc up to this point, um, was very plot and uh, externally uh, um, uh, inspired. It, w- it was very much a traditional going into the dungeon, finding the monster, etc. This is one that is drawn specifically from one of the characters. Uh, and from one of the characters' backstories, which gives it an in- entirely new level of emotional investment. And the way that this whole the way that this this whole episode is laid out, but but particularly this scene, is very well done in a way to desi- designed in such a way as to. You know, we we start the whole episode essentially with uh, uh, Percy telling his version of the events. And then here, basically more or less at the end, this is this is sort of the 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 pre-climax scene Um, uh, has the Briarwoods, ostensibly the villains of the of the arc that have just been introduced, presenting how they have sold this situation to 
the world at large. Um, so, you know, we as the viewers are immediately inclined since we are sympathetic to Percy and we've, we've just heard his version are, are, are pretty much designed to point at them and say like, liars, you're lying. Um, it's a very smart way that sort of play, uh, sets the Briarwoods up very, very quickly as, as, Characters for us to truly, truly hate, um, in a way that I don't, I don't think that we even had, not even for Kavarn or Clarota in 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 the first arc, because those were just threats and people that they encountered along the way. These are those those weren't people who had a big emotional impact upon our characters' lives up until that point. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is a really, this is sort of a, uh, uh, <coughs> this is sort of a thematic setting point mm-hmm. for the next arc. Yeah. Um, where everything sort of gets set up and the audience's expectations <clears throat> are adjusted as much as the player's expectations are adjusted. And they've done a very good job of executing the setup as well, because we started right. with Percy, you know, in in setting, narrating the story yeah. of his origins, as far as Vox Machina is concerned, to the rest of his group. Have we talked about, like, the use of flashbacks and stuff in narrative before? Yes, we have okay, uh, a couple. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's it's an excellent, you know, if 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 this was a television show, it probably would have just, you know, Done the especially if it was a television show pre say nineteen eighty uh, right would have done the and then we would have shifted to you know an actual inner an actual reenactment of these these character circumstances you know and it's just the it's the modern show well. would have just had a you know would have just had a cut too right yeah. but mm-hmm. we yeah. would have still had the flashback it would have had the scenes with Percy it would have had the scenes uh, without dialogue with Percy's narration over it right. Mm-hmm. Or something along Poss- po- or or possibly like stop motion animation or something like that, you know. Yeah, there's a variety of different techniques. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, and it's really well dovetailed in, um, and and sort of interspersed. You know, it's not an it's not an entire exposition dump for the right the, the full the full length of the episode or something like that. It's here's what you need to know. All right, and then now here's how these circumstances from ten twenty years ago are affecting life in the present mm-hmm. yep. yeah and and like i said it's 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 a very good theme setting uh mm-hmm. and 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 expectation adjustment and that's something that a lot of things could use like there are often times in in uh tv series and in books and in D campaigns where you're sh- sort of shifting the themes or the the sort of the thematic play uh idea of the story as you go and when you when you get into a new section and things change that's is always a good point to letting people know that that has changed saying hey guys you know previously you were going around hunting monsters in caves and in dungeons and collecting loot now you're going to have to be a little bit more politically sensitive and careful uh for this at least for this next little bit until it changes again um that's a really good thing for players or 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 uh, uh, people who are taking in the media in, in in other forms of games or entertainment, um, because it makes sure that you're not gonna you know get whiplash when you when you suddenly hit the big uh, whatever the big uh, sort of key moment for this next arc is. Uh, it's you're not going to be unawares that you've shifted into a political thing. So we're not yep. now that this has been established, we're not going to have that moment where Percy jumps over the table, yelling, you're lying and shooting at the Briarwoods. Right. Because that's not what this, this arc is about. Um, that would have yeah. been one way to do it though. That it would have certainly have been one way to <laughs> <laughs> efficiency. <laughs> That, that, uh, that, that would have been one of those moments where you see Matt just grab a bunch of paper, crumple it up, and throw it over its shoulder. 
One of which being character sheets for Percy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, but it's it, it that that would have been a, that would have been an example of the players rejecting the narrative that was being put before them, which is something that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but remember, kids, in improv, say yes, unless you need to say no. <laughs> but you better know damn well what you're doing, and make sure, and everybody else has to know damn well what you're doing before you well, start saying no. Also, there are I mean, there are other things that improv if somebody on improv if if somebody on improv drops trow and says blow me you're perfectly acceptable (laughs) to say no (laughs) that 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 has crossed the line from improv into sexual assault and harassment though Uh, some people would argue that (laughs) they would be wrong but some people would argue that uh kevin spacey improv theater oh my god <laughs> All right. <laughs> Time to reset that inappropriateness in the last how many days counter. We reset from, that like from, multiple from, times every day though. So. From zero to zero. It's not so zero yes, to it's a really, slightly more recent zero. Yeah. Yeah, our, ours measures by the minute, not by the day. It's the only it way we really does. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> Vax follows the Briarwoods to their room. <laughs> Seeing the door is flanked by two guards. As they go, Vax manages to sneak a hunt or Vax manages to sneak a hunter's mark onto Delilah before they exit the room, and Vax stops above the guards as the two enter and shut the door behind them. He removes his servant belt and tosses it away. Seeing a snake suddenly appear, one of the guards moves to try to attack it. When he does, he drops down and brains the Vax drops down and brains the other guard, knocking him out. Uh, showing that he has mastered the skills he practiced on the teenager earlier. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, he slips inside the unlocked door behind him, and sort of as he enters as stealthily as he can, taking a quick look around to examine the entire room. Uh, and in order, the GM explains that he sees two windows in the far wall, a large bed between them, um, and the lord and lady standing near the bed where she is taking off jewelry and laying it on a small table as they both look at Vax. Because while you can certainly do your best to stealth, when you stealth into the middle of an open room, there's not really any place to hide. And stealth does not work like you, sin- you simply become invisible. It's more you use the terrain around you to become invisible. Vax instantly goes into bullshit mode, telling that he works for the city, and he heard a noise in the room and stuck his head in to check it out. Uh, the Lord tells him that there's no rush to go, and uh, and uh, asks him what he does. And and uh, Delilah asks him what he does. Vax tells them that he's a special security detail, and as they approach him, he sort of slinks backwards to reach out for the doorknob. Um, uh, Delilah tells him that he bears an uncanny resemblance to a man she just had dinner with. Uh, and as Vax tries to run, but finds himself unable to move as Lord Briarwood looks, uh, uh, moves forward and takes him by the arm, pulling him back into the room and saying, don't worry, you look delicious before closing the door behind him. And uh, that's what you call a motherfucking cliffhanger. Yep. Yep. That's also what you call Probably a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Because you don't tell people they look delicious unless you're going to eat them. (laughs) And we're fairly certain that Silas Briarwood is at least mostly straight. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we don't know. We don't know, but there's... We're 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 quite certain this is less with the sexy times. I'm going, you look delicious, (laughs) and more the, uh, I'm going to eat you, you look delicious. We're pretty certain of that. I want to drink your blood. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I want to eat your flesh. Uh, so yeah, that was the episode. Yes, uh, it was. Not much really to talk. Not much really to talk about throughout the episode is large, except for Tiberius being Tiberius. Um, 
And then the, the couple of implications here, because as we said earlier, this is sort of a transitionary episode where we're going from one arc to another, or mm-hmm. where we're sort of beginning the next arc properly. Um, mm-hmm. And, and in, in those transitory periods, quite often th- there's not much revolutionarily, not much sort of revelationarily happens in these sort of situations because we're going from, okay, you've all settled on, you've all settled over the, over you're down the hill from the first part of the roller coaster. Now we're climbing back up to the apex of the second part of the roller coaster. Uh, so strap yourself back in, get ready. Theater critics usually don't review how well the stage hands change the scenery. Is what yeah. I'm kind of getting at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what a lot of this was. Um, right. A lot of set dressing, a lot of scene uh, uh, discussion, a lot of exposition on behalf of Percy and on behalf of the Briarwoods. Um, and now that we've sort of hit our first cliffhanger, there's going to be more interesting stuff to talk about going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I still think it was a fairly serviceable episode if it, if, if it showed us how much oh, yeah. of a psychopath Tiberius is. Well, because Tiberius is one of those characters that I kind of get the idea that he wants to be the guy who, you know, you start the episode with all your main cast and they have an idea or an objective or a goal and you kind of lose track of one of the characters as the rest of the group that's actually in front of the camera kind of blunders their way through making progress towards their goal. And then that one character that you're like, oh, yeah, what's so-and-so been up to all this time? comes out at the very end to sort of solve the big last snag and then we achieve our thing. Uh, kind of like uh, Marina Baccarin's character in Trash, that episode of uh, Firefly where Anara mm-hmm. just swans off and then swings in at the last minute to sort of pick up the the loot and get it all back to where it needs to go. Or, uh, or like how Peggy lorded, like- and lorded over Saffron. And loaded over your bridge, yeah. Um, yep. Right. Or, or, or like how Percy is most episodes. Right, yeah, exactly. You know, and we've all seen that character, and there's always something, you know, very sort of, oh, the loose end wasn't actually a loose end because they'd planned for it all along, you know, and it right. gives you a very sort of cathartic, hey, we've achieved a <coughs> moment. But in order for that to happen, people need to actually know what's going on, and Tiberius was missing that sort of one kind of integral in element yeah we, a lot we're, of the things he was trying to do <laughs> we're, we're seeing a lot of motion but not a, but not a lot of thought with right. with with tiberius currently because right. you, you get the idea that tiberius wanted to come to the end of this session with everybody being like all right well we're all right we finally figured out how we're gonna get to craghammer and tiberius just walks in with a sack of twenty five thousand gold and says got it for you already guys bloop drops it on the table you know yay character moment it didn't happen, but you know, mm-hmm. I think that I felt like that's sort of what what he, they were pushing for with him. Um, but you know, then it just didn't wasn't composed correctly for those sort of circumstances to actually take place behind the scenes, yeah. right? So it it, it 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 he's definitely showing a little bit more character, though. Like, oh yeah. We're learning. We're we're starting to learn that not only is Tiberius a very self-centered, you know, aristocratic noble type character, he's also a psychopath, <laughs> or at the very least, a sociopath. Um, <laughs> the kind of person who says, "Hey, here's the trinket of your long lost dead relative. How much you want to pay me for it?" Uh huh. <laughs> After having already established a payment for said thing. <laughs> I know you already paid me once, but I would really like to get paid again. <laughs> <laughs> also, can you make a bended glaive out of five daggers? A chakram. <laughs> Just call it a fucking chakram. <laughs> bended uh... glaive. The are already bended. I feel like he just didn't want, he made a bit, maybe he was confused about whether, because not everybody knows that Chakram is, is, is used in D, is actually used in Theron D&D. Um, maybe he thought it was a trademark term from uh, Xena. I have no well, And that's the thing, because from a historical perspective, a glaive has, is, and has always been a rather sizable polearm. Right. There has never been, in reality, 
a thrown multi-bladed weapon that is called a glaive. That is called a chakram or a hungamunga or something of that nature. But somewhere in the last hundred years, fantasy authors said, glaive, that's a cool word. Let's apply it to this completely fictional weapon, more or less. Yeah, That is basically a giant shuriken. Yeah, right, so it's basically to, a giant shuriken, right? To to be absolutely clear to the listeners, what the, the difference between the two things? Yeah, a glaive is a a, a polearm. Specifically, it's a polearm with a heavy blade, also known as a guisarm. Um, right. It's 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 a long stick with a really big fuck off blade on the end that is typically curved and very sharp and heavy. Um, a uh, the thing that Tiberius wants is sort of a triple handled like if you if you imagine if you imagine taking three uh um uh uh uh, uh wavy bladed daggers and um and staple the pommels together in a triangle and connect it so that it spins so you can throw it and it goes and hit something that's what he wants that's also called a chakram. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like... Oh, well, okay, so there are a couple of reasons for this, to be completely fair. And it, the, the big reason... <laughs> Krull, Krull is the reason that, that those are called glaives. Um, and most people, when they hear chakram, they think spinny disc. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, yeah. They think Krull, weaponized frisbee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, for those that aren't familiar, there was K R U L L. Crawl. Look it up. Go to Google. Took up the image. It's like it's the it's third image. 1980s fantasy movie. It's great. It's the cheesiest thing in the world. You must watch it. Also, um, as I recall, that weapon was a Glaive Capital G, as in that was its name, not yes. what it was. <laughs> yes. But it's confusion. And And technically, you said three. It's five in Tiberius's case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants five. The, 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 the crawl version is also five, but the, the traditional non-ringed version of a chakram is three. Um, because all all a chakram is, is a thrown, is a bladed thrown weapon. Typically in a circle, not always in a circle. Right. Um, which, is raw the thing about this and the thing that drives me so insane about it as i'm thinking about it as a dm um why first of all tiberius is i i i know i don't normally go this direction when we're talking about criti- uh, when we're when we're talking about critical role on the show but i'm going to go i'm going to go mechanics here First of all, you're a sorcerer. That's not a simple weapon. No, it's an exotic weapon. It is the exact opposite of a simple weapon. You're going to kill one of your friends with it. (laughs) Um, Because you're going to have no idea how to use it. But, see, here's, here's where I know Orion's thinking went. I am 100% positive that there was going to uh, try to be an argument, and I don't remember if this ends up happening. It's made of daggers, so I should be able to use it? Yes. (laughs) 100%. I don't think that ever happens, because we'll find out how he uses it. But um, Yes. Yes, we will. That 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 particular argument never gets to be had. <laughs> but you know that's where it was going to go. Uh, that, yeah, there is certainly a, an amount of uh, an amount of. Oh yeah, that's that's probably what he was thinking with it. Um. <laughs> but yeah, Chakram and it just, frisbee. That whole thing, even even with Tiberius as a character, that seems really out of. Out of, out of left field for him to all of a sudden want a really, I mean, okay, it's not that out of left field for him to want a really, really cool weapon, but like, like he's never been a weapon person. There is certainly an amount of, oh, I see, oh, well, the way I read it, and, and we'll, we'll probably close this episode on this before we get too deep into it, but yeah, uh, the way I read it is, oh, look. Percy's doing all of this interesting stuff, building weapons and things. I can do that too. 
I'm going to build me a cool weapon that I can use as sort of a surprise weapon thing like Percy does. Because I'm smarter than Percy, therefore I should be able to do it better. That's the way I read it, at least. You know what? That is 100% valid and even more infuriating. (laughs) Because nothing irritates, literally nothing irritates me in a game more than the person who needs to be better than every member of their party at the things that they do. Yeah, that 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 is at least how I read it. Um, yeah, in, I can in, see from that. an in-character perspective because it seems like a very Tiberius thing to do. Yep. Advice for your day, players: stay in your goddamn fucking lane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not even not even necessarily stay in your lane, but just like let people do what they do. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as the. the We'll, we'll, we'll end it there. I'm sure there will be more Tiberius discussion next week. There will be plenty, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, we will talk to you guys next time. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.